We're back to being a normal country. We're back to being a country. The British Dream Podcast. Join us. Powerful people. As we launch our despicable acts like these. And sickening and barbaric politics. What I hate about this is that it's so violent. When the next phase of this disaster comes, they will come for you. From prime time to pathetic excuses, welcome to The British Dream, a weekly politics podcast from Vice. I'm Simon Childs, Home Affairs Editor at Vice UK. You turning as ever, we've got Sam Chris. Hi. Shirin Kale. Hi. And Zing Sing. Hiya. Coming up, we are debating whether debates suck, talking about the future according to the Greens and the past according to YouGov. Well, I've been taking Jeremy Corbyn on directly, uh, week in and week out. Try to calm down. I feel sorry for ITV. Why didn't he do their debate? And behave like an adult. Ten days since the dementia tax U-turn, 24 hours since Theresa May stood up Jeremy Corbyn, and presumably just minutes from the latest gaffe somewhere. Politics has slowly rolled on towards the election on June the 8th, and it's looking a bit different. Sharon, surely the Tories aren't going to lose this? Well, there's some pretty interesting polling coming out. Um, there was a YouGov poll earlier this week which suggested that there might be a hung parliament. Um, Let's be real, uh, polling doesn't exactly have the best rep after the events of the last couple of years. I think what's certainly clear is that the Tories aren't going into this with the massive lead in the polls that they expected. Whether or not Labour really has a fighting chance, I'm not sure. I want to believe in miracles, but I think, unfortunately, I've just been disappointed too many times lately for something like that to happen. Yeah, I mean, either way, it's like a kind of huge fuck-up on yeah. the part of the Tories. They, they, they were supposed to just absolutely like walk this they and would, now they're looking really sort of like sweating and looking kind of <laughs> looking kind of clammy yeah i mean they were literally hoping to gun this and, and now it's just theresa may blinking under i feel like in an interview she looks like like as uh, henry langston said jeremy corbyn looks like he's taking xanax before before each interview and it's like jeremy corbyn's just had a really bad pill <laughs> and it's like she, she looks like she's just died of a heroin overdose <laughs> <laughs> but like her body's still twitching i think that was like a couple of episodes ago on the british dream where i said that her nickname should be the death star and there's definitely <laughs> something like i think if anything the death star nickname has proved accurate she's just dead on arrival really it's mm. probably why she never didn't want to do the debate in the first place which then like why bother having an election if you like are this allergic to any kind of public scrutiny but I mean, there is, there does seem to be a lot of like, there's a lot of hope basically, which is different from a month ago. Mm. But um, Labour aren't going to win, are they? I mean, nothing's impossible. My usual stance is that the worst thing that can possibly happen is always the thing that happens. But um, we're, we're living in incredibly bizarre times, and you know, it's about time that you know the wheel of fortune went our way for once um, <laughs> given that you know the nazis have been getting far too many lucky breaks lately i mean at the very least i think we genuinely could see theresa may out on her ass within like a week that's theresa may actually no longer being leader of the conservative party yeah i mean like like, like tories are vicious they're uh, they're, they're they're deeply unpleasant <laughs> um, uh, for for a bunch of uh, stark individualists they tend to kind of think as a pack and if their leader lets them down they will immediately turn on them you know it, it happened to to cameron you know if if Theresa May has wasted the country's entire last month. Certainly my month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, like, 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 think of what I could have been doing if I didn't have to care about politics all day. Yeah. Playing in the sun or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like, what's important to remember as well is that even if Theresa May doesn't go, and I think it's, unless, unless it's a hung parliament, I think it's highly unlikely that she will go. So many more young people have signed up to register to vote in this election. I think, like, 200,000 young people. So... 
that is going to be like a large chunk of people that the electorate didn't previously like consist of, and and hopefully they will take into account their views a little bit more during the Brexit mm. negotiations. Uh, I mean, I think the the YouGov poll that everyone's very excited about that's based on I think something like sixty percent of eighteen to twenty four year olds voting, uh, and the number yeah. was forty four percent in twenty fifteen, and you know I, I would absolutely love it if this were wrong, but like the fact is that young people don't vote um, because I mean like, like like young people kind of kind of grew up in like a post neoliberal world where where voting voting wasn't your civic duty anymore it was just another consumer product but one that never really seemed to give you anything um, and I think this is a, a large scale generational trend it's not something specific to this country it's happening all across Europe and all across the world young people are giving up voting I mean it might take someone like Jeremy Corbyn to buck that trend I mean I really don't think anyone else in the Labour Party could have done it. At the same time, isn't there this danger that like some people are getting super excited about this possibility for change that, if we're being honest, looks actually, you know, statistically quite unlikely. Mm. What do you do with that despondency on the, like June the 9th when, you know, hopefully you turn up, turn it into pissed off righteous anger, but there's also... Yeah, possible- I mean, yeah. yeah, what did we all do in 2015? Well, well, in 2015, everyone was like, hey, what? Like, everyone in my Facebook was Labour, <laughs> so who who are these Tory voters? I don't, I don't quite understand. Oh, yeah, shy Tories, remember them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also just like, I don't know, I feel like if you were in London with, you know, a curated mm-hmm. social media feed, you kind of didn't know that Tories actually were a real thing. They were some kind of folk devil. And yeah. In fact, like, obviously they're everywhere. I feel like the optimism that people are feeling now, at least among uh, my friendship group, is very reminiscent of the optimism in 2015 like exactly mm. a week or two weeks before the election when everyone thought Ed Miliband was going to win and that's kind of what gives me pause because this sensation feels very familiar what has changed since since the last time we talked about the election on the, this podcast because uh yeah last week we were covering the Manchester tragedy obviously I feel like the dementia tax marked the beginning of you know this U-turn in fortunes for Labour like the Tories basically shot themselves in the foot they came up with a policy that was so terrible so awful that they had to take out sponsored Google ads to explain to people why it was as awful and terrible as it seemed which is a kind of gaffe that you wouldn't expect from a party with Lington Crosby powering behind it. I mean, when when politics is just about branding, then you know, then then sure, he's very powerful. But once you actually have something genuinely political in the mix, it might not go according to plan. Having said that, the whole dementia tax thing is partly an exercise in like negative branding. You know, yeah. it's like it's like yeah, think, think of the worst two. <laughs> yeah, but think of the, like the worst two words you could brand a policy with. You know, like, gerbil holocaust, like paedophile allowance or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's like dementia tax. Like, sounds so fucking toxic and wretched. Mm. Now, Amber Rudd is up next. She is not the prime minister. The prime minister is not here tonight. She can't be bothered. So why should you? In fact, Bake Off is on BBC Two next. Yeah, and then obviously we had um, Theresa May's no show on the debate. Um, who? How many people actually watched this debate? I, I watched, watched it. it. You guys all did? Nice. Yeah. yeah, I didn't actually watch the debate last night because I was at a housing hustings in Lambeth in the middle of an estate that is contempt- condemned to be demolished. All was- right, Gandhi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm actually more virtuous than you guys and uh, I'm above such trivial politics. Um, but yeah, it was kind of interesting because like, everyone was there except Labour and the Tories. Um, as they discussed how, like, the Labour Party Council is selling off a lot of housing. So now I'm super well-versed in, like, the opinions of the Pirate Party. Um, 
the more high-profile debate. What do we make? What do we make of it? I mean, it sucked. It wasn't good. Um, it was, nobody learned anything. It was bad. It was, it bad was of the very bad. What was that? At certain points, there were just people shouting over each other all at the same time. And mm. then you have Paul Nutter, who looked like he walked backwards out of a pub into a suit and onto the BBC stage, <laughs> um, not knowing anything about what he was supposed to say, except for when the word Islamic extremism happened. And then mm. immediately it was Paul Nutter to the rescue of the British people. I mean, I find it weird that we're even talking about Paul Nutter, given that like UKIP's not projected to get any seats. Um, like, it's a complete has-been party, you know, all of its uh, revolting energies inherited from the BNP have now been kind of folded into the Tories. Um, and, you know, like, like his presence there was weird because you had, you know, the, the six more mainstream parties basically spending like half the debate condemning UKIP for being just insanely Horrible. racist. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the story of the debate really was Theresa May's absence. Like, that's mm. the only thing that really stood out for me. And I don't know if you saw the like delightful pictures published in uh, The Sun of Theresa May eating some cheese at a cheese festival is that what she was doing instead yeah well no You're she went kidding. to the cheese festival she ate a lot of cheese and to be fair i can like i can sympathize with this because cheese does make me sleepy and then she decided that she couldn't go to the debate because she had to do a lot of important thinking about brexit yeah because yeah. you'd think that she'd had time to factor in all that brexit thinking given that she called the election herself mm. it's just becoming incredibly embarrassing now like where is she this is her election and her own party officials and Linton Crosby and all these people basically think that she's just too mortifying to be ruled in front of the general public. It's, it's like she's been hidden from us because she's just such a terrible person. I do really like the idea of her just sort of sitting in her room thinking about Brexit yeah. as well. <laughs> she's really like furrowing her brow and like, <laughs> like doing the sums again and again and like rubbing them out. And, and then having like cheese dreams about Brexit. <laughs> yeah. There was that footage of the uh, the BBC reporter putting the question to Theresa May about why she wasn't appearing at the debate. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and oh God. The, yeah, that's what like, I meant when I said she looks like she's taking a bad pill. Yeah, we, wa- we watched that a couple of times and it felt like really awful and intimate and weird and like she'd been like embalmed <laughs> but was also like having like post-death laughter like it was just horrendous she does this weird thing with her mouth where like she just had like obvious discomfort it's just all expressed through this weird downturn of oh, her that. mouth yeah. it's just Horrifying. incredibly bizarre to watch it's like you think there's a media trained it out of her do you know what I mean mm. but she's still doing it um, just... did, did you see that thing where um, it went out on uh, on social media you know where she looks like she's uh, she's selling like personal injury lawyers um, and yeah. she's like kind of giving a speech to the British public in front of like plinky piano and kind of hopeful indie music because... it's very like daytime channel 5 yeah well you know that's going to be the soundtrack to fascism for the next 50 years but she she did the downturn mouth thing like mm. five seconds into it and so you have to assume that like that was the best take <laughs> um, <laughs> take after take after take. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's why she couldn't make the debate. She's like worn out from all these takes. So it's weird, false like Johnny laughter as well. It's like ha ha ha. Oh god, the the, the so sort weird. of joke she did that and didn't sh- land. And, yeah, and the shoulder. It's always like which like her right shoulder kind of like bounces as her mouth turns down, and mm. she just looks like she'd rather be anywhere. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, it looks like it looks like she was trying to smile, but her her brain was pit- was put into the Teresa unit upside down, so it just comes out wrong. And next, it's Jeremy Corbyn. Tonight, I am here. Here, 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 here. Order! I watched the, um, the one show, Jeremy Corbyn and the one show, authentically boring 
but like mm. fine, just like a no fairly normal person with some slight eccentricities. He seemed yeah. to genuinely care yesterday in the debate when he was talking about homeless people sleeping outside stations. Like, I felt like that was a moment that... Yeah. He, he had a few moments where he got really angry. Yeah. And I love those because, I mean, like, like Corbyn's at his best when he's this kind of fire and brimstone preacher. Within the Labour Party, you know, managing factional disputes is it's not really his strong suit. But, um, you know, like, like campaigning is, is what mm -hmm. he's absolutely incredible at. Uh, and, you know, he would have done a lot better in, um, in a proper debate without UKIP in it. Do you um, think that he's improved during this campaign? Or do you think that the media just being fair at him because of campaigning rules around the election? I mean, just to sort of play like a Miles Devil advocate to the whole, like, oh, he's an incredible thing. It's like he's, he's quite like on, on again, off again. Like mm. he was good in that, like, leader's question time thing. He screwed up that women's hour thing. Although, like, to be honest, they massively care about, like, one guy's brain fade. Like, oh, my God, he doesn't know all the figures the whole time. But still, he, you know, he's still not, like, a consistent... I don't really care about this, like, performance shit. But, like, yeah. <laughs> he's not, like, a fully consistent performer. No, I mean, I find it weird that the people are um, people are suddenly going, oh, Jeremy Corbyn spoke and, uh, you it know, piss and flies didn't come <laughs> out of his mouth. Because, I mean, like, like this, this is how he won the initial leadership contest, was that, you know, you, you had Yvette Cooper and Andy Burnham and the other one, uh, and, and they were all mouthing rehearsed platitudes, and Jeremy Corbyn just sat at the hustings and just talked like a human being, and people immediately liked it, and, and, and it propelled him to victory. So I mean, you know, like that. You can see footage of him in the 1980s doing the exact same thing. When he's very impassioned about something, he speaks very well about it. On June the 8th, you can lay the foundations for a new kind of politics. Your vote can change everything. Carolyn Lucas was in the debate this week. She's the joint leader of the Green Party, along with the other one. She's kind of been struggling to get any kind of traction this election, although the Green Manifesto is pretty progressive. Anyway, this week, Vice called her up. Hey Caroline, it's Sam here from Vice. How are you doing? Hello Sam, yeah, good, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Um, what is your prediction for how well the Greens are going to do in this election? We're very much hoping we're going to keep Brighton Pavilion and we've got a really good chance of winning in Bristol West, the Isle of Wight and maybe Sheffield too. What about the next election? I don't think anyone would be mad enough to make predictions about something that's, that's years away when pollsters are being shown that they can't get the answers right when it's just weeks away. So I'm not going to answer that because I have no idea. Does the word green put uh, voters off? I don't think so. Um, I, I, I think that it's a word that people recognise. Who would you rather go for a drink with, Jeremy or Theresa? Jeremy. You'd like to reduce the voting age to 16. Who would you have voted for when you were 16 years old? Um, I think I would still have voted for the, um, I think it probably would have been the Ecology Party at that, at that, uh, that many years ago. What's the best way to set up a progressive alliance? Coming from the grassroots and in, in the most transparent way possible. How many plastic bags is a respectable number of plastic bags to keep at home? <laughs> well, it depends what you're going to use, use them for, if you're, if you're reusing them regularly. Order! What proportion of Green Party members would most people refer to as being hippies? I have no idea. What proportion I, I, would you call hippies? I wouldn't use that word because I think when you use it in, in, that, in that context, it makes it sound um, disparaging. Hippies traditionally have been people who've been prepared to think big thoughts, um, have bold ambition, and to that extent, then I'd be very happy to, to give many people that label. Imagine this, a country that leads the world in clean energy, 
not frax its way to climate chaos. A country that spends its money on hospitals and schools, not nuclear bombs. Your manifesto to me feels very progressive. Um, and I wonder whether you're just too early. I don't think so, because, you know, we, we think that um, when you're looking at, at the environmental side of things, we are running out of time. We are on our way to climate catastrophe unless we act very fast. So we certainly don't have 20 years before we take some serious action on the environment. Let me explain what I mean by that, because there are plenty of people who you would see as being on the side of the argument that are absolutely wanting to uh, make sure that we crack down on this as hard as possible. Surely, like, a four-day week is never going to happen. People would have said that about a five-day week when people were working six or seven days a week. People would have said that about the minimum wage. People would have said that when my bedroom first came up with the idea of the NHS. Bold ideas always seem impossible until they become possible, and we're quite sure it's possible. Do you think that the electorate kind of switches off when people talk about the environment? I think the electorate perhaps doesn't respond when you label something with the word environment. But when you talk about green spaces that they rely on for, you know, play with their kids or when you talk about the threat from air pollution, I think that means something very serious. And certainly on the doorsteps, the issue of air pollution is absolutely cutting through, making people sit up and recognise that that air pollution is a public health emergency. Why is it off the agenda? Well, none of the other parties have seriously addressed the environment. We, we as the Greens, launched our own environment manifesto. Um, but to be honest, in the debate so far, the environment has been conspicuous by its absence. I don't think that does affect what, what people feel. Um, as I say, once you, once you take out the word environment um, and, and get down to what we really mean in practice, then um, that means something different and it's much more resonant to people. If the environment sits at the heart of, of your manifesto and, and what you guys stand for, why is it not the first thing that you guys mention? Well, in our manifesto, it's, we talk about the economy first and then the environment. And the reason for that is that you have to have environment at the heart of your economy as well. And I think one of our criticisms of, of other parties are that they kind of add the environment onto business as usual as, a, as an optional extra. So no doubt you will have been watching what's going on with Trump and the Paris uh, Treaty. What do you think it would take for the UK to consider leaving the treaty? I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, seeing the way in which Theresa May dashed over to the US as soon as Trump was elected... In a world of Brexit, we are more likely to be reliant on that relationship with the US, um, and that is deeply worrying. I think it's deeply worrying because it seems to me that um, essentially Theresa May wants to be able to demonstrate that outside of Brexit we can get a, a successful free trade agreement with, with the US. And so I worry that you know some key protections that we would want to see in, it, in any kind of trade agreement simply won't you know won't feature very highly in her list of priorities. I, I think if, if Trump had come to power ten years ago then it would have been a lot more dangerous than it is now. I mean, we, we want climate leadership, and it's tragic that he's not providing it. It's in, in, instrumental to note, I think, that in many of the U.S. states, actually, they are going uh, much further down the renewables road. Order! 
Moving on, the alliance. If you become something of a kingmaker in a hung parliament, what's your number one priority and what are you prepared to concede on? Well, let me explain where electoral alliances are. For us, this is about trying to maximise the number of MPs who are returned at the next election uh, in a week's time who are committed to fighting for a change to our electoral system, which currently allows uh, you know, a government to be formed on less than 24% of the eligible votes. So fewer than a quarter of people actually voted for this last government. All understood, but if you know, if you're kind of pushed on something, where where do you think you you are prepared well, to concede? If that became a, a, a real situation, then obviously there, there would be discussions in our party. We're a democratic uh, party. Going to see that electoral reform and climate change would be would be uh, two of them. Um, but I think as well, what we'd be talking about is not a formal coalition. I think what Greens have done when we've been in similar positions before, both in the London Assembly and in the Scottish Parliament is to have supported um, uh, you know, the, the more progressive option in those institutions on a case-by-case basis. On this particular topic, on the Alliance, how did your last conversation with Tim Farron end? Um, I, <laughs> I, I... I had very few direct conversations with, with uh, Tim Farron, so basically this has been led at a local level. This has been about is about those kinds of um, discussions happening um, around the country. It's no, it's no secret that we were hosting that in return for a number of seats where, where the Greens have stood aside, that in a couple of our target seats, most particularly Bristol West and the Isle of Wight, we were very hopeful that, that the Lib Dems might have uh, returned the favour there. Sadly, they didn't. You must have talked to them about it. Well, I, I'm certainly not going to uh, you know, get into any detail of that. That was Caroline Lucas on the campaign trail somewhere. Sam, you're saying, like, why was UKIP even in that TV debate? But could you say the same about the Greens? I mean, yeah. basically, do they matter at all? I like the Greens more, so they should have been there. Uh, OK, fair. <laughs> uh, I mean, also, they're not completely redundant as a party. You know, um, UKIP, you know, it's like the most successful party in recent British politics. It got absolutely everything it wanted. And now it's been kind of superseded. There's no need for it to exist anymore. And I guess, you know, when we've stopped climate change and uh, put the mammoths back in Siberia, then we can get rid of the Greens as well. But until then... That's kind of a thing. Like, I don't think there's been any discussion about climate change this election. Like, none. What would it take to actually get climate change discussed? I mean, yeah, I feel like if we're going to be talking about climate change, um, which I definitely think exists, by the way, um, we should probably be talking about the fact that Trump um, has joined the illustrious ranks of countries like Syria um, by withdrawing from the Paris Accord on on climate change, which is obviously just a huge clusterfuck. Well, I mean, you say countries like Syria, it's the US, Syria, and then Nicaragua, which is withdrawn because they don't go far enough. Well, I mean, it's good to see, uh, you know, American imperial power and the the government of Bashar al-Assad finally reconcile. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they have so much more in common than they ever really thought. I mean, there's this thing that even the Greens don't super want to talk about the environment because it's kind of like, oh, everyone knows that the Greens are green, Green. so let's talk about everything else. So kind of got this weird weird situation where the people you'd really expect to be gunning for Mother Earth are like instead more wanting to talk about like the bedroom tax and stuff, which, you know, is fair. It was weird that the Greens didn't really talk about the environment until there was directly a question on that issue. Um, but, I mean, 
you know, again, like every party, again, apart from UKIP, made some kind of gesture towards green environmental policies. It's not conventionally thought of as a vote-winning policy, being mm. green. It's just sort of a nice thing you say at the end of sentences, like, by the way, I recycle. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess to be fair, if you're like struggling on personal independence payment or wondering whether or not your house is going to be sold for, to pay for your like mm-hmm. care as you slip into senility, um, yeah, you're not sort of going to care that much. Why does this have no detailed costing at all? Why is this an uncosted document? Could you be in a little bit of trouble now because you were so sure of winning that you thought you could get away with a load of uncosted and half-baked po- So all the manifestos are out. Tories, Labour, Lib Dems, Greens, even you could have put something together. No one reads them, obviously, but the British Dream has done a deep dive by style and have pulled out some quotes. But can you tell the difference? So who said this? We will deliver exceptional healthcare whenever, wherever, delivered by an NHS with the money, buildings and people it needs. He said that. Uh, I'm going to say the Monster Raven Looney Party. <laughs> I think their NHS policy is actually free chocolate for everyone on the NHS. Really? Can't believe I know that. I mean, it's not really saying anything, so I'm a dotori. Yeah, okay. that's what I think. Um, it has the flavour of a non-statement. It's not saying anything, but it's not only not saying anything, it's saying nothing very badly. So I'm going to... Uh, oh, whenever, wherever, you'll have healthcare, <laughs> it'll be great. So I'm going to say UKIP on that one. Yeah, I like the whenever, wherever, which is supposed to be very, like, declarative. But it's like, like yeah, whenever, Shakira's whatever. It's actually Shakira, <laughs> Shakira song. It's actually a very popular Shakira song. Okay, I'm yeah. changing my vote. That's definitely you get them. They seem like, secret Shakira lovers. Someone should write a manifesto that is like lots of pop song references. I'd love that. Like, I thought like, in the, like was it Euro '96 when the whole English football team, all their interviews, they would like try and inject some kind of like club banger of the day. Or like when you used to like change the like settings on your friend's computer so that every like other word would be penis, and they wouldn't know how to change it back. Yeah, again, yeah, I think that actually is a UK manifesto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> penis. Um, well, that was the Conservatives. Uh, oh, thanks. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of figure, given that, um, you know, the, the Tories are increasingly trying to kind of claim the mantle of a laborist concern for social democratic institutions that they're steadily destroying. But, I mean, the NHS is the one that everyone has to pretend. Yeah, no, everyone has like- to pretend to love the NHS, but kind of sell it off slowly. Uh, this is a good one. He said this. We remain committed to an independent inquiry into Britain's military role in the 1984 raid on the Golden Temple in Amritsar. It's probably Labour, surely. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say Labour. That's something that like, Corbyn has just put in that past. It's got John McDonnell written all over yeah. it. Was, uh, it was a Sikh temple, wasn't it, where uh, uh, a bunch of religious zealots oh. were killed by the Indian military. I don't feel like that's going to play very well with the electorate. <laughs> like. Every Tory politician seems to feel the desire to go to a Sikh temple and embarrass themselves, a la Zach Goldsmith or Boris Johnson. So, you know, Sikh vote is important. I mean, I, I approve of it, but we should expand it. We, we should have a separate inquiry into every single awful thing that's wrong with the world. Who uh, said this? We will work with local authorities to improve their capability and capacity to develop, to develop more good homes, as well as providing them with significant low-cost capital funding. In doing so, we will build new mixed-term social houses, which will be sold privately, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's cumbersome and worthy, but it's at the same time say. market-oriented. So I'm going to say maybe Lib Dem. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. yeah, I, t- I agree, lip dumb. I was also thinking that's lip dumb. Why? Well, I mean, it sounds basically like a cop-out. You know, they want to, you know, simultaneously build social housing, but then also sell it off privately and make loads of money for already rich people. I like. I got bored listening to you eat that bit out, so that I just assumed it had to be Lib Dem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my sentiment exactly. Like I started drifting off midway through, which is kind of how I feel about the Lib Dems. Yeah, I was thinking about food. I think about food a lot when people talk about the Lib Dems. That was the Conservatives. Uh, so, same difference. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they're going to solve the housing crisis by s- selling more public houses to private landlords, which is great because everyone loves landlords. So hooray! <laughs> Thanks, Sam, Sharon, Zing. You are the greenest we ever had. The British Dream was produced by Sam Bonham at Rethink Audio. We'll be back again on June the 9th. It'll be all over by then. Stay positive.